a salsa dancer, artist, serial entrepreneur, advocate, and so much more, Ana Masagote's work is rooted in bringing cross-cultural communities together and sparking conversations through the arts. During our conversation together, we discuss her project, Queer Bodies in Motion, as well as reconciling multiple passions in order to build your own constellations, when to lean in versus when to pivot, Doug from the movie Up, ownership versus delegation, and how creativity is really nothing more than intuition. My name is Jay Cottle, and this is Anna's Lab. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dexter's Lab. I am here with Ana Masakota. I love saying her name. I love speaking with her. I'm so excited for you all to get a chance to learn more about Ana today. So, Ana, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me and for whoever's listening, because, you know, I know that there's a shit of things out there. Let's start that over. <laughs> there are a shit of I things out first, there. Can I? I? Of course you can. Of course you can. <laughs> you absolutely can. Okay. <laughs> I say we keep this in. So, yes, you were saying a shit of things right. that people could be listening to. <laughs> Well, it is, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. And I haven't even thanked these listeners to whoever's listening out there. Thank you for listening. So, Anna, as you know, this is a uh, conversation really rooted in creativity and people's processes. Um, but before we jump into how you do what you do, um, I just want to ask, who are you? What does that mean to you? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm. Well, I am a queer Chicana, born of two immigrant parents, transplanted from Texas to Boston. Mm. Um, I love the sun. I don't know how I ended up in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ultimately, when I was young, I was this uh, shy kid. I loved the books, uh, mm. reading, I'd walk down hallways and always have a book in my hand and mm. that somehow landed me eventually at MIT studying electrical engineering mm. and my sophomore year I had a change of heart and mm. ended up going into deciding that I wanted to do an entertainment company a Sasa Latin dance company switched into business and um, the rest is history mm. <laughs> so two questions one as someone else who loved to walk and read, I just want to know, I used to get really angry because <laughs> I would read on the bus a lot of the train and then there was this walk, specifically in high school, there was this walk between um, the bus stop and the school. It was like a 15 minute walk. And so I'd be in the middle of my book and I would have to stop because I found when I would try to walk and read, I would always just like veer into the street. <laughs> I didn't want to, oh, yeah. <laughs> did you veer to the street too? Or were you really good at like staying straight when you, when you were reading? Well, fun fact, mm -hmm. um, dancers do not know how to walk in a line. So <laughs> okay. I veer with or without a book. I actually think mm. that I used to stay because I had to focus on my peripherals more. I had to stay more focused and so I'd stay more in line when I was, in, when I was reading books and walking down. I'd go up and down stairs and it was fine. But Got it. Okay. <laughs> now asked me to walk in a straight line and somehow I end up on the other side. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, okay, and so then the next question is, you talk about, you know, the rest is history and, and, and wanting to create businesses, but you've created a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the orgs and community things that you've built? Yeah, well, 
um, my my uh, my work is largely um, built around a community centered approach mm. towards arts and civic engagement, mm. and um, my goal is really to change the world through art, mm. and I do that through movement art, uh, but really helping people to build more the space of embodying art into into themselves. Mm. Um, we think too much about art being separate from ourselves or something mm -hmm. we see, and we often don't place ourselves in the environment and uh, make that an experience, um, mm -hmm. a lived experience. And so that's sort of a lot of the work that I do. I um, I had, uh, or I have currently an Afro-Latin dance company. It's my second Afro-Latin dance company. This one's an online business. My last one, Masacote, um, afforded me the ability to travel around the world, um, sharing my love for Latin dance and I'm very blessed for that. I will mm. say very, very blessed that I got to do that. Um, when I was a kid, I was, um, again, I'm raised of immigrant parents. When I was mm -hmm. a kid, I never really thought that I was going to see anything but Texas and Mexico, you know, mm. the U.S. and Mexico. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, I sort of dreamed of like traveling around. And uh, when I got to mix my love for, for dance and my mm. love for traveling and business altogether mm. it was just dream come true mm. so um now i i do focus a lot on community work my work is more rooted on building more um awareness for uh undertold stories mm. while also creating spaces um for more artists of color so mm -hmm. building more racial equity in the arts and also mm. more inclusivity lgbtq inclusivity mm. beautiful so now I'm interested in your why. So how did you first get into dance? And as your family, um, mm -hmm. were they the kinds that embraced this artistic practice? Did it come from them? Or were they more like, what are you doing? Um, well, fun story. Mm -hmm. I was home one time. Everybody has a story about mommy, right? So right. <laughs> I was home one time and my mother says to me, why don't you teach me a couple steps? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it, you know, mm -hmm. right next to each other. And I said, we're going to do this. I started teaching her like a movement and she starts going, wait, what this, this basically moving exactly in the opposite direction or, that I or, was going. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, okay, that's it. That's it. You got it, mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's it. You pick your battles. But absolutely. That's sort of, that's what I was raised around. Um, mm. <laughs> Definitely not dance, but mm. when I was young in Mexican culture, you have what are called quinceañeras, which are mm -hmm. like sweet 16s, but mm -hmm. for 15s. Mm -hmm. And I was what you'd call a quinceañera crasher. I'd end up going to quinceañeras and <laughs> borrowing invitations just to get into the parties to Love be it. able to dance, literally wow. to dance. And wow. My mother would come, it was my sister and I, my mother would come with us and she would chaperone us um, until eventually that led, that was when I was young, it led all the way through until I was 15 when I ended mm. up getting into a Sasa club on a borrowed ID mm. and loved it, absolutely mm. loved the dance and um, was enamored by it. Later on, when I ended up going to what were called congresses in Latin dance, you have what are called congresses or festivals and conferences mm. of dance where you do workshops and shows. And I attended my first congress and I couldn't believe people were making a career out of this. And mm. that's sort of what led towards that decision of going, 
wait, I can make a living out of this? Like, mm. uh, why not? And so at that point, I realized that I might be doing, I might be doing something that I could be good at with engineering, mm. but that didn't mean that it was something that I loved. And mm. I realized that what I really loved was dance. And I, and mm -hmm. I had that change of heart and really shifted over. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't have an analytical approach to dance um, mm -hmm. and to the environment that I inhabit, but um, I think, you know, my intellectual side pulls in there. I mean, and uh, I love being able to just like push myself mm -hmm. in a different way. So, yeah, I'm going to get into, you know, your multi-hyphenate status and how it kind of bleeds into each other and affects <laughs> everything. But I mean, one interesting thing so far, even just hearing you talk is, I'm sure from the outside, it can appear that you have this kind of bravery and fearlessness, right? Like you're crashing these schemes and you are, you know, doing this thing on a borrowed ID and you're going to school for something and then completely changing your mind in the middle of school, right? And so was it as easy as it sounds from the outside or like, what was that process of confronting these things and then being so singular about what you wanted to do in spite of all that challenge? Jay, you make me sound like, did you ever see the movie Up when you the, the you have the squirrel, the dog is like, squirrel, squirrel, you make me sound like that, so. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not at all. Um, I guess for me, um, I was raised with um, my mother always telling me when I was a kid that education was my ticket forward. I mean, my mm -hmm. mother was a housekeeper. My father is the packager at Mission Foods. Mm. Um, they were immigrants and mm. they came looking for better opportunities and to provide eventually their kids a future. And um, that meant that at the beginning, my father couldn't have, both of them couldn't really have jobs like really like st stable jobs because mm -hmm. they were immigrants and eventually they became citizens or resident aliens through the amnesty act which mm. uh, allowed them to be able to create a better future for us and in that space you know my mother always said education is your ticket forward it's always what's going to get you ahead so always make sure that you push for that so that's why I was always really invested in my studies and in my work. And when you're raised in that type of culture, especially with Latinos, like immigrant, with immigrant mm -hmm. families, you're, you don't necessarily think, oh, you can do art. That's not mm -hmm. something that you think that you is, is available to you, is accessible mm -hmm. to you, because mm -hmm. you need to be an engineer, you need to be mm -hmm. the doctor, you need to be mm -hmm. the scientist. So I never, I never grew up with the mentality of, oh, let me explore that side of what I love doing, but not something, mm -hmm. you know, let me explore it as a career opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think for me, when I, when I left Texas and I came to Boston, I got to a place where I realized that similar to what my mom said is that you can, you can really make your dream possible. You just have to push for it and you have to be dedicated to it. But you also have to know that that is what you want to do because mm -hmm. in order to have the dedication for it, you actually have to have the passion for it. So mm -hmm. if you don't have the passion for it, you're not going to dedicate yourself the same. So for me, in that case, it made it very easy. Mm -hmm. It was pivoting was always a difficult decision. But once I made the decision, the mm -hmm. pivot was easy, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it took some time to definitely make decisions and everything that I've done. I take a lot of, a, a lot of time to make a decision on, on, 
uh, projects that I want to approach, work that I want to do. But once I make the decision, it's a full commitment and a full goal. And I put my complete energy behind it. And mm. once you do, um, you let the pieces fall into place. Mm. You know, to be honest, I feel like you're the anti-Doug. Doug was the name of that dog I was thinking of. And I feel oh, like... God. <laughs> because, you know, I feel like you are clear about where you're trying to go right there's like a bone that Doug is looking for and then there are squirrels popping up and there are these digressions popping up but I feel like the the bravery pieces is really sticking clear to that initial thing and if you're deciding that you are going to change your destination as you just said it's like you're considering it very deeply and intensely and then committing to that once you make that shift so I yeah I think you're the opposite of the dog from up for sure for sure for sure Oh, thank you for my therapy session. Yes. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> Anytime. So, okay. So I, even in just this past year, have experienced you as a um, advocate, as a, a dancer, as a poet, as a writer, as a arts administrator. So you have these different identities and perspectives. Do you ever feel like they're competing with each other? Do you feel like they are complementing each other? What is that process like? And, and has it given you a freedom, if you will, and kind of how to design your life and how you go through it? Not to mention engineer and scientists, right? All that stuff. I love that question. So thank you for asking that. Mm -hmm. I would say I've I do a lot of the things that I've done have been exploratory for sure, but they've been all in. Hmm. And I think at the beginning, I used to, I, well, let me start that over for a second, because I, I think this is important to say, because I think this is a great exercise for people to do if anyone's ever listening to this. Hmm. At one point, I wanted to make some shifts, and I really wanted to dedicate myself to very focused uh, grassroots initiatives um, and work around issues that matter to me deeply mm -hmm. on heart level. And so I sat down and I uh, did an exercise, a good friend of mine, Jen Earls, uh, who does uh, uh, mindfulness consulting. Yeah. She had me do an exercise to sit down and say, what were the things that mattered to me and why? You know, what, why did women's empowerment matter to me? Why did LGBTQ inclusivity matter to me? Like everything, you know, sit down and just, I just started writing a paragraph and writing mm -hmm. exactly why that meant to me. And then distilling that into, into lesser and lesser words so that it made mm -hmm. sense. The more concise the, the reason, the, the less fluff you have on the outside and you get down to the nitty gritty. You just keep mm -hmm. asking yourself, but why, but why, mm -hmm. but why? That's also even a marketing approach. Mm -hmm. And so um, in that process, um, I, I really sat down and I said, all right, well, I'm going to create a plan and how I do some of the work that I want to do and how I want to approach it. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been, uh, a work in progress, but at the same time, at that point, I sat there at one point and I asked myself, am I doing too many, too many, am I in too many lanes, right? Mm. Am I driving a car? And am I trying to drive into one lane and into the next, you know, mm. am I, am I not, am I not going in a way where they're connecting? Mm. And it took me a couple of years to be quite honest, to figure this out that I realized that 
what I was doing was not driving a lane. It was more that I was building a star and then I was connecting the stars. So I was creating mm. a constellation of my own. Mm -hmm. So it's more um, realizing that you have the ability to do these different things, but there's connection points at mm -hmm. all. Because if, if, if you, if it's emanating from you mm -hmm. and something is deeply rooted in making you want to do something, mm -hmm. but you also want to do that thing, there's a connection between those and you just got to find that correlation. Mm -hmm. It's not always immediate. Sometimes you got to start a little here and a little there. Mm -hmm. And eventually you give it a little bit of time, you give it a little bit of space, you give it some space to process mm -hmm. and you'll find that pathway. And then you learn how to sort of just focus that in a little bit more, a little bit more. So mm -hmm. what I do now, I don't think I'm doing a lot I actually think I'm doing all the same thing in a couple different mm. places and it's mm. all just falling into place together mm. that's beautiful so now you are creating stars and building constellations and that while difficult is easy to some degree and that it's yours and it's your vision but I'm wondering externally now as you're working with and around other people how does that appear to them and are they projecting things onto you about like you're doing too much and what does that mean and are they unclear and how does that affect you as you're going about this building and connecting process and really, really trying to honor yourself well that's a wonderful question i would i won't say that i mean i think a lot of people do think that i do a lot and sometimes i'm i say no i don't really i don't feel that I am all over the place. I actually mm. think that I have spurts. Mm. What people see is spurts. Sometimes you'll see a lot of work coming all out at the same time. Mm. Uh, at times you see that all coming out at the same time, but it's they have been things that I have been working on for a while. Like I have, um, at the moment, I have a business restructure about to launch. I have two productions about to launch. Mm -hmm. And I had a, another initiative that launched recently. And those have been all in the works for a year, almost a year and a half in some cases. Hmm. Some a year, some a year and a half. And so it just happens to be that they're all coming to fruition at the same time. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I just kind of look at it like a lot of the work has been put has been done in the back burner. And it just means that at one shot, you get it all but mm. it's, I wasn't doing it all, all, all at once. Mm. I mean, I just, I resonate with this very deeply. I, I had a teacher in high school. Um, they shall remain nameless for now. And they didn't mean this in a bad way. But like, I had to interview them for some project I was doing. They were like, you know, Jay, I worry about you because you have your hand in like so many different cookie jars and there's going to come a time where you're going to need to choose and I worry that you're not going to be able to. And when I got to my senior year of undergrad, I felt like I was there. I did not know like what my career would look like. I was like, do I want to do art? Do I want to be an arts administrator? Do I want to be an educator? And I felt really overwhelmed and I didn't know how to choose. And I was confiding one of my professors and I told them about like what that teacher had said to me and how it was manifesting. And she was just like, I have to respectfully disagree. There are, and this is kind of what you were saying, there are different strands of your work and your identity. And you have to find where those strands kind of overlap. How do they connect? Where do they come together? Um, and that's where you build from. And I think I had a moment where I really shifted from feeling like my disparate, well, the things that seem so disparate in terms of my skills or my passions, 
um, it was really my superpower because now it's just like, yes, mm -hmm. I can. And there's no one like me who can do this, 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 and this, right? And that is what makes me uniquely me. And that's how I can go into the world really strong. And so I feel like um, from one multi-hyphenate to another, thank you for this. And I think that, uh, I think it's a really powerful thing. I appreciate you saying that. And you know, one thing that I will add to that too is I had a mentor once tell me, because um, I had actually said at one point, you know, I feel like I want a no person. I want somebody to tell me when I am about to do something to say, no, you shouldn't do this. You have too much on your plate. Mm. And my mentor basically said, you don't need a no person. You need, you need a yes and a hell yes. Mm. Meaning you have to identify what is it that you want to do Mm -hmm. as a yes but also what is it that you want to do as a hell yes so mm -hmm. you have to you you navigate you gravitate yourself to the hell yeses and you realize that something might be a yes but maybe it's not a yes right now mm -hmm. maybe it's not that so you have to learn when when <clears throat> you want to do that and i also think that the disservice that a lot of people say to us is, as artists is, a lot of times they say well you're doing too many things mm. and i want people to start advocating to saying wonderful you're doing all these things now. How are who, how can I help you? How can I connect you to do the things that you want to do? Because sometimes mm. it's literally just a matter of uh, being able to get a grant so you can hire a person to make this project mm. possible. We got to learn to delegate better. We got to learn mm -hmm. to manage our time better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these things don't have to all be done by us. You just need mm -hmm. a team of people to help you do that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's an important lesson for for the, the hyphen is to learn as well that I know that sometimes because your work is coming from such a singular perspective it feels like well if I don't do it it's never going to happen I have to be the one to put this out into the world but then you feel like but I'm already doing these nine million other things and it's just like yeah but it's okay as you said to find a team to find a village that can help you bring these things to fruition um, and and maybe thinking about what your role is in each project that you do. And sometimes it doesn't mean that you're the doer. It might mean that in this thing, you're the mm -hmm. thinker. It might mean in that thing, you're the connector and you're the bringer of people together who can do that thing. And, and part of that sometimes means that you gotta let that ego die a little bit because um, you can't be at the mm -hmm. center of everything. And you have to say, I might be responsible for bringing this work into the world, but what that looks like, I have to think critically about and, and, and that might change, that might change. And that's okay, because it's more, at the end of the day, the most important thing is not that I'm doing it, but that the work itself is being done, that the thing that needs to happen is existing. Um, Snaps to that. <laughs> had to learn that the hard way, okay. So <laughs> um, all of this is kind of really, creativity, right? And creativity being this catch-all term for artistry, but also how we move through and think about the world. And so for you, I guess, how would you define creativity? Intuition. Hmm. I believe creativity is intuition and we don't tap into our intuition enough. We don't listen to what the universe is telling us, what the universe is signaling to us, what we're feeling, we're too in our heads. And if you think about it, when we're kids, we all um, we all make things up. I, oh my God, I was playing a game with, um, I was visiting my niece who lives in Texas, one of my nieces, mm -hmm. and she was playing a game. She was playing with her dollhouses. And it was, um, 
they, she was putting the doll in the bathtub and then putting the bathtub in the living room and like, like randomly think, doing things like that. And so I'm in the back going, oh, but why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, but why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And she basically says, you know what? I think you need to sit over there now. She kicked me off the game. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> she felt that but naysayer that was, vibe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, and it, it's like, that is, that is the dichotomy of our mm. world, right? When we're kids, we're so imaginative. We're so creative. Mm-hmm. We just we don't think we're not in our heads. We're in our field. Mm-hmm. We're in what we feel in our hearts. And as we grow up, mm-hmm. we get more and more in our heads and we start to put up too many barriers, too many walls, and we stop listening to the intuition ear for that. So creativity is intuition. Once you once you block that, you block that creativity. Hmm. I think that's beautiful. And so I have an unformed question in my mind about that. So would you then say that artists who have made this career, are they folks who never stopped connecting with that intuition or folks that have reclaimed that sense of intuition? Both, neither? I mean, I can't speak for the artists because then I would go into this place of like uh, analyzing other people and I think that's unfair. Hmm. Um, I think how I would how I would see it is that some people in general are able to recognize that there is a space where they need to they need to take pause Mm. and they need to listen to um something that they're feeling in that moment to do Mm. and um some people might be reclaiming something some people might be have always always maintained that childlike spirit Mm. um but i can't speak for others i know that for me it's been a little bit of both Mm. it's been it's been a bit of exploratory, but more than anything, it's been about nurturing. And the more that if we're in environments that are nurturing, it makes it easier to tap into that. And, or mm. if we've gotten ourselves to a point where we can nurture ourselves, whether mm. it's self-care, whether it's, mm. you know, going into meditation, whether it's um, picking up a coloring book, you know, mm-hmm. as an adult, mm-hmm. it, that's all nurturing. And that, that helps, that helps to guide us. Mm. And so I feel like I know what your answer is based on what you're saying now, but does this mean that you think that creativity is something you're born with or that can be nurtured into you as you grow up? I think we're all born with creativity. Hmm. I think it's just not always nurtured. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely, absolutely think that that can be nurtured. So what do you say to the adults or to the young people, even anyone, I guess, who say, oh, I'm not creative. That's not, I don't, I don't know how you guys do that. Wow. Like you guys are all that. I can't do that. What do you say to those folks? I would ask a question. I would ask, what do they see as creativity? Hmm. Because creativity is subjective. We hmm. have this narrow mindset that creativity is art. Mm-hmm. Who said art? art is creative mm-hmm. like I've seen some art that I'm sitting there going what the heck was that <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. there's a reason why why black and brown people sometimes don't like going into museums because we don't see ourselves in these spaces to us mm-hmm. that is not creative mm-hmm. but to that person that was mm-hmm. creative so 
creativity is subjective. So I would say, what is it to you? And it does mm -hmm. not have to be art. Mm -hmm. There is creativity in there is creativity in how you move around the world. Mm -hmm. There is creativity in how you interact with the person. There is an art in how people connect with each other, in how people mm -hmm. build relationships. There is an art with taking care of your plants. There's creativity mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of like, well, what do you define as creativity? And maybe the, the, the problem is that you're defining it too narrowly. Mm. And excluded yourself from and what could be real. Wow. Absolutely. So you've done a lot of work collaboratively, and I'm wondering how does collaboration for you affect the creative process? Ah, uh, well, this last year of the pandemic mm. has been hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was on a panel once with Karen Young mm. <clears throat> and she mentioned sometimes you have to be kind to yourselves. As artists, we're taught to show up and be the happiness in the room for people. Mm. What happens, what happens when you can't bring that happiness forward, mm. when you have you 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 don't feel that connection even to yourself to mm -hmm. show up as an artist and so mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to be kind to yourself to just get up out of bed and get up in the morning mm -hmm. to just say to celebrate that to celebrate mm -hmm. the little things like that um so yeah this year is hard and it was hard because it was isolating it was hard because it pulled us into a place where we had to stop and and see like you couldn't get away from the things that were happening because yeah. all you had was what was being shown on the internet mm -hmm. and so that created even more isolation and now a lot of social anxiety for people mm. and so i will say that that is the extreme example of what isolation does to people mm -hmm. extreme example of what isolation can cause in communities and the prime, <laughs> the prime study of why community connection and art is necessary. Mm -hmm. And so I would say for me, um, I got to a place during the pandemic where I said, you know what, I'm gonna make space for self-care. I'm going to reanalyze my, my art, figure mm -hmm. out how I wanted to, to live in this virtual world. Mm -hmm. And um, And I'm going to, continue these small collaborations that I have with people. I will say that as I began to, the, to start up the collaborations again, mm -hmm. talking to artists, connecting with them, vibing like, with, like we're doing now, mm -hmm. and just having a chat here and there, that really got the creative juices flowing again for me. Mm -hmm. and, and it helped to really, to really, every conversation to really just like, build that again and, and mm -hmm. spark, you know, one thing would spark, one conversation would spark something that would lead to an idea mm -hmm. and another conversation with somebody else would spark another conversation lead to that idea. So for me, collaborating, it's immensely rewarding in, in building something completely different than what you experience or what you think you might even have. It's, it's just, it's just wonderful. Um, 
it's hard at the other end. I'm not going to say that it's not because you have to learn working styles of people. You have mm -hmm. to learn how to connect. But I always say that if you can start your collaborations and friendship, mm. then that helps. That helps because you, if the, if something feels off, you come back to the base of that friendship and you sure. say, let's pause the project. Let's pause the work. Mm -hmm. Let's figure this connection out. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what you need, how you work, how what I need, how I work. And mm -hmm. then let's come back together and redirect it. And then that just brings you closer together, which makes the collaboration even stronger and even mm -hmm. better as you move forward. So I'm a bit, big advocate of collaborations. I also do believe that there are things that you need to do in silos and solo. I'm a very big introvert. I call myself an introvert force extrovert. So I do need my mm. space to process on my own. But mm. but I the the part about working in community is I I'm blessed to be able to do it. Mm. I love it. So <laughs> when you're in your zone. I'm wondering, what does that feel like for you? Some folks call it like the hum. Um, some folks kind of feel like they're going blank. Some folks feel like all the things are coming and they're just like trying to be a conduit to catch it all as quickly as possible. What does that look like for you and how does it feel? The zone is a meditation. Hmm. Um, I wonder if you saw the movie Soul by Pixar. I did. Beautiful movie, mm -hmm. beautiful movie. Anybody listening, if you haven't seen it, just go watch it. Go watch it. I felt mm -hmm. like it was a, a telling of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but that that <laughs> that movie really touches on the idea that art can be meditation. And mm. a lot of times people, I mean, meditation is a buzzword, you know, mm. mindfulness meditation and all that. Mm. And, and I know a lot of people, some people are tired of hearing it, but... Mm. It took me a long time to realize this. I began meditating in 2012, I think it mm -hmm. was, 2012. And before then, I used to always say, I can't meditate. I can't sit still. I can't think. Mm -hmm. And then I entered a meditation retreat, 10 days of meditation, no phone, si like everything in silence. 10 like no days? Nothing. 10 days, no reading, no writing, no phone, Ugh. no nothing. All everyday meditation from like, oh like 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. So wow. it was a lot. And I, I went from like the shallow end to like the deep dive end. Yes, yes. <laughs> My God. And, and, and it, honestly, I loved it. But that meditation was sitting. And so I always thought when I left the retreat, oh, I have to sit to, be, to get into this meditation zone. Mm. And it took me a couple of years to realize that meditation isn't the actual actual stillness it's actually being in stillness in what you're doing mm. so if i'm moving you can still be in stillness you can meditate through dance you can meditate through a creating a painting you can meditate mm -hmm. through writing through journaling it's all a meditation and so for me that is um being in the zone is being in meditation in whichever format that may be that's amazing i i did a retreat with uh my old job, they, they were doing this retreat or whatever. And they were doing the sounding exercise and we were all meditating. And I've always had an issue with meditation because I always thought that like, <laughs> it's about your mind needs to go blank. And, you know, they're just like, you know, sometimes things will pop in there, let it come and then let it leave. But I always found that like the more relaxed I am, 
the more like my creativity just starts sparking and I have all these ideas and I'm just like, I think the opposite thing is happening to me than like what's supposed <laughs> to. Because <laughs> I'm like, everything keeps firing now more. But there is this sense of peace as it's happening, right? Where it's, it feels like, I don't know, that like if, if my life is like holding these doors closed to some degree that when I relax, I like let the door open and all this stuff flows out and it's this weird sense of calm. And so hearing you say it's like the stillness in the thing that you're doing, that sounds so right. Thank you. Fixed meditation <laughs> for me. Um, that sounds so right. Yeah. But thank you for sharing that with me. It's so, it's, that's just such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and you speak so much truth to just being able to acknowledge that sometimes like the more we think to clear the mind, the more it erases a forest, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna sit with that one for a while. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so let us know about your lab project. What is it that you're doing for lab? Wow, well, um, I haven't been working on a project called Queer Bodies in Motion, which mm -hmm. is um, a project that's meant to highlight discrimination against the LGBTQ community mm. and give people mental health resources mm. and also show allies how to be allies. What are ways that, that allies can show up as allies? Mm. Um, it's, it's a project that's meant to attract attention. So that also means that there's different, different um, accessible avenues of the project for people. Mm. So what's happening is, um, it will, this, uh, this isn't getting released soon, right? Cause it's still, it's not, it's not out. It's not We out. could talk <laughs> timeline and spoilers. You just let me know and we'll, we'll, we'll edit to that. A spoiler is not a spoiler. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. All right. Or maybe it will be a spoiler. Maybe that should be, mm. <laughs> but um, sneak peek. Yeah. It's going to be a production that's going to be taking place at Oberon and a virtual production that's being filmed, part narrative, mm. part dance, and it's using all dance and musical artists from the community. Mm. And um, there is a storyline to it. Mm. Uh, I, the storyline itself is a remaking of Alice in Wonderland. Ooh. So it's it's called Alice in Rainbow Land, and mm. it's retelling the story of Alice as what what is a Wonderland for the LGBTQ community, what does mm. a rainbow land for us look like? Which happens to be <clears throat> more often than not, it happens, our safe spaces happen to be our ballroom spaces. Mm. And so that is where we can all have always felt these underground ballrooms that we have always felt that we can show up and be ourselves and just be us mm. and not be judged in any way. And so it's sort of um, an invitation into the space of what uh, a ballroom working safe space for an LGBT community would be. Mm. And that's what Alice is venturing through. So mm. that production is premiering June 10th, running through the 30th. And we're also working on a round table where we'll be also talking to the cast and really dissecting some of the issues that the community faces, but also the why of the project of why that was important for them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. How has it been kind of designing that and then working through it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Easy question. <laughs> it has been a very big learning process, um, but not just because 
because a lot of this work for me is is I'm venturing into some new some new territory in mm-hmm. some cases, but also during the time of COVID, during this time of the pandemic, yeah. you have so many more things to think about, so many more hoops. I mean, the original project was supposed to be a flash mob. <laughs> Mm. Hey, it was supposed to be a flash mob from flash right. mob to virtual production is completely different i love when that happens we'll continue. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so it was it was reshifting so creating mm-hmm. art during this time has been about asking myself not how do i do the thing that i wanted to do in the virtual world but mm. how do i create something that is meant to be experienced in the virtual world whether or not mm-hmm. we can get together how is how would that look if i wanted to create a virtual experience how would that look so that's what this project has been about um it's been a lot of zoom conversations Mm -hmm. it's been a lot of social distancing storyboarding um it's been recording things and sending it to people um it's been navigating costuming it's been navigating covid testing it's been getting permits it's Mm. been it's been the works but i it's it's so there's so much that i've learned in this process i wouldn't i wouldn't have it another way and honestly it sounds like it's pulling from each of those perspectives we talked about earlier where it's like every part of who you are like has to show up in order to make this project come to life yeah and i will say that i have a very large team we're working with the oberon crew and Mm. they're really like working their creative team is work and marketing team is working Mm. with us on marketing the event but also creating this helping us with set design with Mm. with the direction of the lighting and things like that Mm. we're working with loop lab on the videography they're filming it and everything and working Mm -hmm. with us on that i have a production manager an amazing production manager who's not in boston on this one and so i'm working with people from out of town i've got an immense an events manager from Snatched Events. And so uh, that's currently in Jamaica. It's just, it's an incredible uh, collaborative project. I'm also mm. working with Music and Motions to help with some of the creative consulting and storyboarding. Mm. And then of course, all the amazing artists who have been a part of this production, mm-hmm. some who've been working with us and it's been a devised script as well. And so it's just been wonderful. I can't wait for, for it to come out and for people to see to see this come to, to light. It sounds so exciting. It sounds very, very exciting. And I cannot wait. I have one last question for you. So far. Okay. So uh, this series is called Dexter's Lab, based off the uh, cartoon of the uh, young scientist uh, who would seek refuge in his laboratory. And so as this episode is called Anna's Lab, if you had all the money in the world, all the space in the world, um, all the materials in the world, and you could bend the laws of physics, what would your laboratory look like for you to do your most creative work? Can I take you on a journey for a second? Please do. Okay, so I'm gonna have you close your eyes. Okay. I'm gonna have you envision this, all right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You would start, you would begin in a blank slate, mm-hmm. completely blank slate nothing around you, completely white background. You would add a beach to that. You would add a water, building itself into the shoreline. You would add sand to the shore. You would smell the water. 
you would feel the waves and the water on your feet and you would feel the sun and you would hear the birds. You would add to that a walkway, just a wooden walkway going forward. And on this walkway, you would see a field of sunflowers on either side. You would get to the end of the walkway and you would have a running fountain stream on rocks, sort of like the Buddhist fountains. Mm. And you would have a labyrinth on another side, a small little labyrinth that you could walk through for when you want to walk and find some peace. Mm. And then you would keep progressing forward and you would find a lake house. The lake house would be all glass. So from the outside, you can't see in, but from the inside, you can see out. Because I like my privacy, so I don't want people mm -hmm. to see me inside. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you go into, the la into this lake house, and half of this is glass, and the other half is sort of this private space of retreat. But this first front-facing part is the open studio where the community gathers, where you gather, where you get around. And it would be this big loft-like feel, uh, open floor. On one end, you would have a big yellow table, big yellow round table, yellow for healing. Mm. And that is where if you invite friends over to talk and artists, they would just come together and they would talk and you would have conversations around the round table. Mm. Then on the other end, you would have a little office but no desk, you would have a sort of couch that you can curl into, that you can write on, that you can do your work on. Mm. And it would, it would just sort of swallow you up and that would be the writing corner. And the place would be full of plants all the way around. You would smell the incense, you would hear meditation frequency and it would be a warm, yellow lighting um, that you could dim out into a daylight lighting when you wanted to. And then mm. you would have an open floor with the fireplace and no TV, no electronics. Mm. And that would be the space where you could retreat, where I could retreat, where mm. a community could come and gather. It would be a mix of both, but it would have room for creation. And more than anything, I would also have things that that take your imagination outside of what you normally would. So mm. quotes that remind you of things, dreamers need to stick together. I would have a mm. wall of, of positivity quotes basically. Mm. And then I would have objects that remind you to ground, but also to dream. Mm. And you can open your eyes. <laughs> I mean, that's like a mind palace, like. <laughs> Like Zen escape, I think that's beautiful. Ah, and what's the temperature there in this in this in this uh, laboratory? It is not too cold, not too hot. There it is. And but when you go out, it would be warm. You would feel that sun on you. Wow. It would be warm. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna co-op that space a little bit if that's okay with you. Yes. Um, <laughs> I might, I might sneak a phone in there. I might sneak in one electronic or two. I, oh, I couldn't oh make it through God. that 10-day retreat like you. So I'm going to yeah, need a right? little something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you so much. This was a fascinating and such a rich conversation. And I think um, folks are going to be really excited to hear it. Oh, well, 
it's uh if you made it through this because <laughs> i've never loved the, the sound of my voice so if you've made it through the sound of my voice yes. thank you so much <laughs> and thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this jay this is amazing um just to be able to share and to just to commune with you forget about if anybody listens to this. i know right i'm, I'm saying we I have this for perpetuity yes. exactly <laughs> <laughs> they always say like if you're if you're doing it for the applause and you're performing mm. otherwise you're creating, right? So this has been amazing just to get to connect with you. Yeah, what a mic drop to end on. Thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Dexter's Lab is made possible by a partnership between the Boston Foundation and Dunamis. To learn more about the Boston Foundation, visit www.tbf.org. Follow on Instagram at BostonFDN and on Facebook at the Boston Foundation. You can follow Dunamis on all platforms at Dunamis Boston. That's D-U-N-A-M-I-S Boston. Or visit us at dunamisboston.org. Until next time, and thanks for listening. Stay creative.